Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rebuttal Podcast. My name is Reb Maisel, your host once again, stoked, jazzed, over the moon to be in this chair, to be before this microphone, and to have these sunnies in my hand because I'm thinking, I'm pondering, I am perusing in my brain, and I think it's time for another transcript series. So I might record one after I record this. Can we please, for one second, uh, appreciate how fucking crooked these motherfuckers are, though? Like, these sunglasses have been to war. They have been drafted. They have traveled. They have stayed in barracks. Absolutely. They have staged a coup somewhere. Um, and and you know what? We're We're living. We're absolutely living. I already broke one pair, the very first pair I ever had. And then a really lovely candle company called Guy Fox, love them, sent me a bunch of new ones. Um, and they the number is slowly dwindling. Uh, and every single time I go into a CVS, I look for these, right? Obviously, because uh, that's where I got them initially as a joke. And I haven't found any. So... If you find a pair uh, in a CVS, haha, funny laugh, or like any kind of Walgreens pharmacy situation, wherever you are in this world, and and you happen to feel like purchasing them, hit me up. We can barter because, goddamn, I really, I really married myself to a pair of sunnies that are absolute shit, but it's fine. Totally fine. Part of the part of the brand, part of the bit. Um, hey, how are we doing? I'm doing fab. I'm doing fantastic. I've had a good couple weeks. Um, oh, guess what, you guys? Guess what? Guess what, you guys? I have a meeting tomorrow about merch. Woohoo! The crowd goes wild. I know. I know, I know. It's been a long time fucking coming. Um, I very much wanted to make sure that whatever merch I did was merch that would be done right. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed. Like, I definitely don't know what I'm doing. Um, but my agent uh, very much does and her team does. So, yeah, I'm really jazzed about that. Um, not just because you guys have been asking me for it for literally like two years, <laughs> but also because um, like I think I can make stuff that I would want to wear if I didn't know me and I even if I weren't a lawyer or in law school like just like some cute shit some cool shit uh and some unit right definitely unisex shit okay like it's not just going to be for the girls even though of course it's always for the fucking chicks the girls and the gays and the days um but what I mean is like I very much if y'all haven't noticed like I very much wear like you know hoodies and um crewnecks and t-shirts that are like you know, cool and like not, I guess, like neutral, you know what I mean? Where they just look sick. Uh, and uh, it's not just going to be like a red mazel and fucking cursive and like a heart, me doing this, like my whole fucking face. Like it's so obvious that this is like some fucking social media stars fucking merch. Like, no, like I want it to be merch that someone would buy, even if they had no fucking idea who I was. Um, because it's for the vibes, it's for the moment, it's for the brand. So yeah, I'm super excited. Yay. Look out for that. So today, I am going to start this case off with simply a headline, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. 
A kidnapper sued his hostages for $160,000 for escaping because them escaping was a breach of their oral contract, okay? A contract they made on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. on September 12, 2009, when our fugitive wanted for murder showed up on their back porch and made them an offer they couldn't refuse. He said, hey, I am on the run from some bad people. Will you hide me for $10,000? And they said, sure. And they spent the next three hours eating Cheetos, drinking Dr. Pepper, and watching a Robin Williams film. After he fell asleep, his hostages skedaddled and the SWAT team swarmed. He was shot in the back and now he is a little betrayed, a little annoyed. Was that an oral contract? It kind of fucking was. Is it a slayer or an A? We're going to find out today. We are traveling to Kansas in the United States, okay? Also Colorado, but we ended in Kansas. And I'll start there. The kidnapper of the hour, okay, our fugitive, if you will, is Jesse Dimmick. Jesse Dimmick in 2009 was in Aurora, Colorado. He was living there, vibing, chilling. Um, Aurora, Colorado, I believe, is also known for a different, horribly tragic Batman-related event. We won't get into it, but that's what I immediately thought of. Um, Unrelated, he was living in Aurora, Colorado, and he was at a motel room in Aurora and got into a scuffle, got into a dispute with another person, allegedly because it was a drug deal gone bad, right? Which I feel like so many cases always smack that label onto some some murders, some homicides, some some events just because they're like, we don't really know what happened. So we're just going to and do that, whatever. But that's what that's what it says. Okay. And and Jesse Dimmick, his name's Dimmick, D-I-M-M-I-C-K, like gimmick, except don't fucking do it. Okay. Dimmick unfortunately stabbed and beat a man to death in a motel room in Aurora. That man's name was Michael Curtis. And after he did that, he went on the run. Okay, he went for a jog and a sprint because we're connecting the dots here. Okay, beating someone to death is such a DNA everywhere type of crime. Um, It doesn't matter that you were in a motel room and that other fluids were around, were around and around. Um, Yeah, you that that was not a vibe. And then also there were apparently accomplices. There were apparently other people there who the police ended up catching and they all write, everyone turns into a Tweety bird, a snitchy snitch. Once once the police start lying to you and telling you that everything's going to be fine, and as long as you tell us what to do, and then they're like, he went that way. Um, Yeah, the police can legally lie to you, by the way. Yeah. Maybe next episode I'm going to do on that. That's a fact. We'll get into it. Anywho, so, so immediately, I mean immediately, Jesse Dimmick is on the run. And when I say on the run, I mean like hot pursuit on the run. Like the police basically apparently had like everyone in this fucking town had this motherfucker clocked. Like, I don't know if he like like I here's photos of him. Like he doesn't look 
I guess, that different from other fucking white men who live in Aurora, Colorado. I don't know. But maybe everyone was just was just pissed. Maybe they were like, what in the actual fuck? We want this guy caught, which, you know, he did, you know, definitely kill someone. So, yeah, for sure. But like, look, it is a hot pursuit from jump. But what kills me, what breaks my back about this is that if you look at a map, okay, Colorado, right here, Kansas share, they share a border. Okay, Colorado and Kansas. He got all the way from Aurora, Colorado to Dover, Kansas. Almost the entire time in hot pursuit, like wee, 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 wee type of pursuit. Okay. I can only like either he is extremely resourceful and absolutely Jason borning the fuck out of the situation or the police are dropping the ball. Look, I'm not going to make a comment on either. I don't know enough, but it feels like that's like a long ass time to be in a car chase with somebody going 110 miles an hour. Maybe that's me. Who fucking knows? And and mind you, right, he was taking different cars like all along the way. Okay. It wasn't like he was in one fucking car the whole time. Okay. Again, he's kind of Jason Bourning it a little. He's a little smarter than that, apparently, we think, but like kind of not. Um, so so he, okay, somehow makes it to Dover, Kansas. And something happens to his ride at that point. Maybe, maybe he got a ride from a friend and they were like, get the fuck out. Who knows? He makes it to Dover, Kansas. It is Saturday morning. September 12th, 2009, 9 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday. Okay, the sun is out. The sun is shining. The tank is clean. That is a Finding Nemo reference. I apologize in advance. Frank Kubiak testified that on September 12th, 2009, he and his wife planned to attend a fundraiser breakfast in Junction City. He said that he started their minivan, pulled it out of the garage, and then parked it so he could go inside and tell his wife it was time to go. When Frank and his wife came back outside, you guessed it, the minivan was gone. Frank immediately called the police and reported the minivan stolen. Unbeknownst to Frank, the person who strolled up to that minivan and got in and borrowed it was our fugitive, Jesse Dimmick. The man wanted for murder in Colorado and who had made it to Dover on the run, on the absolute run, okay? He, I'm assuming, as a fugitive, right, running from police in a residential hood, dodging, right, cop cars, whatever, okay, to see a minivan with the keys in it running and no one around what in that moment, maybe I'm just a woo-woo gal. I would be like, thank you, stars. Like I'd be like, the universe wants me to get away. How could you not think that that was such a like such a divine intervention moment? I would think I'm just super right. I'm super like that fucking guy. I'd be like, period. Thank you so much. Like that that's a coincidence that I would I would think was a little blessed, but teach whatever. Officer Tony Holt of the Geary County Sheriff's Department spotted the Kubiak's minivan. And mind you, too, okay, in addition to an all-points bulletin and APB being put out for this minivan, there was also an AP Bizzle out for Jesse Dimmick, okay? The moment that he crossed the Kansas state line, okay, from Colorado into Kansas, 
the Colorado law enforcement were like, hey, do you mind? Like, you have to, like, take over a little because, like, we can't really go into your territory too much. But, like, there's a – he's on the loose, and he literally beat someone to death in a motel. And Kansas answered, and they were like, okay, word. No, yeah, we'll look out for him. So Jesse had Jesse is a popular guy. Okay, Jesse was a popular guy. It's not looking great. It's not looking good. Officer Holt confirmed it was the correct vehicle and then turned on his lights, right? Turned them on, and immediately the minivan was like, I've I, I've already made it a state and a half, not today. And he starts driving. Jesse Demick starts driving through a median, through bar- barbed wire, and onto eastbound I-70. Okay, he's like, I'm on the highway. I'm getting out of here. He's going 110 miles per hour. That's what they clocked him at. Weaving in and out of cars, pulling maneuvers, right? Not stopping at stoplights, stop signs. Like they te- they had to testify to all of this. Like, yes, he ran that stoplight. Yes, he ran that stop sign. I'm like, we get it. I mean, I know we have to lay the foundation, but I mean, it's a car chase, right? What do you expect? Like, that's what you ordered. Um, so so he's doing all of that, okay? And unfortunately. He's doing all this in mildly, if not entirely, residential neighborhoods, okay? This is a hot pursuit car chase of a fugitive wanted for murder who had already made it, already been chased a state away from Colorado to Kansas, and he is doing this in gated communities. Like, he is absolutely in in neighborhoods with with pools and not the above ground kind. Okay. Maybe this, I don't know if this is like the secret. I don't know if he was like, I really want to upset the upper class people do with that what you will to each their own. The police at this point, apparently a state and a half later, they decide to, to, you know, throw down those, like those stopper strip things that fuck up your tires. Okay. So that it goes, and then the car stops, right? We know that. We know that we've seen cops before. Okay, we know what they do. SVU, we know. So so they do that. They throw out the strip and it pops, right? Gets fucked. And he rolls to a fucking stop in a neighborhood, in that gated community, <laughs> in front of the house of Jared and Lindsay Rowley, okay? The front yard, to be specific. Jared and Lindsay Rowley were newlyweds. Jared testified that he was at his computer when he heard a commotion outside and saw a van go past his window. He was going to render assistance to what he thought was a car wreck, but then he heard four gunshots and knew it was not just a wreck. Maybe not. Maybe not so much. Jared told his wife to run to the basement, which she did, and then he turned around and saw Jesse Dimmick staring at him through the window, standing on his back porch. And I understand hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously, we're sitting here going, oh my God, that's so terrifying, right? Because this guy is literally a fugitive, wanted for a very brutal, very violent murder, running from the cops, right? Nothing to lose, all of that. Um, but like, think about it in terms of what Jared knew. He didn't know any of that. Okay, he was not aware of that. All he saw was a van roll up. He heard four gunshots. He didn't testify that he said he heard sirens. Who fucking knows? Okay. Um, he heard four gunshots. And 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 then a man is on his porch. Like, and the man, right, mind you, 
was not armed. Like there was no, there wasn't like anything in his hands, anything. It was just a dude just literally standing there staring at him, which yes, all in combination. That shit's weird and scary. Close the blinds and lock your fucking windows. Um, super sketch. But for whatever reason, I'm not judging. Definitely not victim blaming. I'm merely observing facts. Jared, right, tells his wife to run to the basement. Jesse Dimmick, he then turns Jesse Dimmick's just staring at him like this. Okay, through the window. And Jared open opens the door to the back porch. And is like, hey, what are the vibes? Oh, my God, hi. Welcome to our home. Amazing, right? Like, what? come on in. I don't know, okay? Hi, welcome. He hi welcomed, okay? Dimmick, at that time, didn't have any weapons on him visibly. Jared didn't know what the situation was. There wasn't anything on the news. It wasn't like he was supposed to be on the lookout for a suspect. He didn't know what was going on. And Jesse Dimmick didn't, didn't have anything on him to suggest that he would hurt anybody. Jared opened the door. And Dimmick then told Jared that he was on the run from the police and offered him $10,000 to hide him. In response, Jared told Dimmick to go next door because there were better hiding spots over there. I kid you not. Jared was like, ooh, would love to, living for this idea. But honest to God, next door has a crawl space I know you would just adore, right? Like, check the neighbors. Way to throw your fucking neighbors under the bus, Jared. Like, holy shit. You were like, go see Sally. Go see Granny Lou. She has a fucking crawl space that you would fucking die for. I am deceit. That is so, like, next door's better. Not just fuck off, get out, leave. Next door's better. Eh. And, and... Unfortunately, Dimmick was like, no, thank you. And Dimmick came inside. Okay, Dimmick came inside and he closed and locked the door behind him. Jared said that he was scared because he had heard prior gunshots, did not know if Dimmick had a gun, but did not want to escalate the situation, which is, of course, fair. Victims of violent crimes get out with their lives very often because they comply right? And just try not to stir the pot. This is what we call being under duress, right? You are just trying to survive the next second. Feel out the stitch. Read the room, if you will, which many of you don't know how to do. Jared did. Jared very much did. Jared testified that Dimmick said his name was Jay and that he started asking questions about the other person in the house who had gone to the basement. Is this house made of glass? Like what in the frick frack paddywhack is going on? Imagine this. Okay, imagine this. All of this happened in the span of two minutes. Okay, the van gets popped, rolls up in front of this house. Remember, Jesse Dimmick, Jesse Dimmick runs to the back porch. Maybe he walks. Maybe he crawls. Okay, to the back porch, not the front one. Jared, okay, had heard, had seen the van roll past the window, heard four gunshots, yelled at his wife like yo like go to the basement and she did immediately only after that did he look through right the backport situation and see see jesse dimmick staring at him okay and there had to be a door to open like there was a door opening process like it wasn't like it was a fucking you know open layout it wasn't an open space layout it wasn't a modern design it wasn't a collapsible wall okay they were in the house 
and Jesse was outside of it. What I'm imagining here, based on how much Jer- Jesse fucking knew, right? Who was the who was the person that you literally yelled to go to the basement and I saw run to the basement? Like, can we get a goddamn divider wall up in this house? Like, oh my God, it's imagine it's it's reminding me of the house from When a Stranger Calls, okay? That's made of all fucking glass. If y'all have seen it, okay? It's made of all fucking glass and the babysitter inside keeps getting phone calls from a scary person who like keeps breaking into the house and then leaving and fucking with her and like trying to murder her and like murders the housemaid, whole situation, right? And she's trying to hide, but uh, spoiler alert, right? You're in a goddamn fishbowl, okay? You're, you're living in Sandy Cheeks setup, all right? Stop with the When a Stranger Calls glass houses. Can we stop? I'm all for a modern vibe. I'm all for a modern moment, but- in terms of like, oh, I don't know, getting your shit rocked, wouldn't it be nice to have a wall be- to hide behind? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone to like not like track your fucking movements, to not be able to like know exactly what time of night you turn off your light and if someone's at home and who's watching the cat? Like, I am so done. I'm done. And I'm not, right? I don't know what this fucking house looks like, whatever. But like, goddamn, how did he see so much? Like, how did our boy Jesse Dimmick see so much going on? Apparently he did. Okay, apparently he fucking did. Apparently there were no fucking walls to hide anything while he was walking from the front to the back of the house. Apparently he just had a full line of sight to watch to watch uh, Lindsay run to the basement. So there's there's that. Okay, there's fucking that. So Dimmick literally says, hey, yeah, loving, loving the hospitality. Where's the person that I definitely saw run to the basement? And uh, Jared was like, oh, yeah, word. Um, she did run to the basement. And so as they headed to the basement, Jared tried to push Dimmick out the garage door. Good idea. Dimmick told him, quote, man, you don't want to do this, unquote. And he motioned to the pocket knife in his pants pocket. Jared said Dimmick at this point changed the tone of his voice and it sounded like a threat of violence. So at this point, we're aware that that Dimmick is armed. Okay. Scary armed. Jared then called for Lindsay and she came out from behind the washing machine. Jared said they talked to Dimmick for a minute, gave him clothes and food, all in the hopes that he would not hurt them. Of course, right? Like I said, compliance is survival. Duh, especially in this situation, right? For the next three hours after Jesse Dimmick walked into the house and said, hey, I'll give you $10,000 to hide me here. And Jared and Lindsay were like, loving that pocket knife in your pocket. What did you say you want again? They hung out. And I don't mean hang out consensually, obviously. But um, they were like, well, while we're might as well while we're here. Lindsay and Jared won Jesse Dimmick, the fugitive over, with Cheetos, Dr. Pepper, and a Robin Williams film. I I kid you not. Like many of us would also be one over with, right? Like I I could count ta- I could count 10 people right now that I know in my life who just the first two, Cheetos and Dr Pepper, it would have been like, yeah. Let's ha- like let's chill out. Like I'll chill out. I'll put my pocket knife away. Like look, like no need to stress, right? They're having snacks. They're having a movie night, right? probably only great for Jesse Demick, okay, the fugitive. Meanwhile, the couple is really sweating. They're like, mm-hmm, yeah, another do- short thing. Uh, the lesson he- to be learned here is keep your fridges stocked with like, you know, com- snacks that you th- that you think a fugitive would enjoy, apparently. Um, 
or like a stoner. I feel like I feel like that's that Venn diagram is a circle, but whatever. When they were hanging out, okay, when they're giving him clothes, food, whatever, just to survive, hoping that he wouldn't hurt them, the front doorbell rings like a movie, right? Like in the movies, the fucking front door rings. Ding dong. And Dimmick told Lindsay to answer it. Lindsay testified that her aunt was at the door and that she was just letting Lindsay and Jared know about the crash and that someone might be around. Doesn't this sound so cliche? Like, if they had written this into a movie, which I feel like they've written it into a lot, you'd be like, okay, yeah, like, sure, the aunt's going to check on them and be like, hey, just not even to drop by to say, hey, but like literally physically coming over in 2009, like there were phones. Nope, I'm going to physically come over and be like, hey, there's a guy around. You should watch out. Obviously, Lindsay at this point is thinking of her husband being stuck with with Bozo back there. Okay, so Lindsay told her aunt at the door that everything was fine at her house. Everything's totally fine. But then she was able to whisper to her aunt that Dimmick was inside. And imagine the aunt's face, like imagine her being like this. And personally, okay, I know too many people in my fucking life who do not read the room and get with the program quick enough to have made the whispering worth it. And I'll tell you, like, I'll explain. They can read a room and they can, right, love them to death. But, like, some people I know, if I would have been like, hey, he's he's literally like, yeah, no, we're totally fine. He's inside the house. What? He's inside the who? Wait, you mean the guy? Oh my God, wait, no, fuck. Holy shit, oh my God. Holy fuck, holy, like it would have been, right? It would not, like, it cover blown, blown to smiths, blown to smithereens. Like it would have been over. It would have been down for the count. And uh, like, no. So definitely pick and choose the people that you wispy, that you whisper to. Crucial information that they literally need to catch on to immediately and then also play the part. Like the aunt literally had to hear that and then be like, okay, bye. And I can count maybe two people on my fucking hands that would have done an okay, bye stance. And both of them are attorneys. They know the vibes. <laughs> they know how to handle being under pressure and not losing it. <laughs> so she whispered, Dimmick was inside, and then Lindsay closed the door. She was like, goodbye. Lindsay said that she did not run away because she did not want anything to happen to Jared. Of course not. Lindsay was eventually able to text her mother while Dimmick was distracted with the Cheetos and Dr. Pepper and Robin Williams film. Specifically, wait, what film was that? Patch Adams with Robin Williams in it. It got mixed reviews. I heard it's good. Whatever. Okay. Patch Adams. Look, listen. That's the movie that they watched. Um, she was able to text her mother that that Jared and her were okay. Dimmick was there, but that he had a knife. Okay, and that he was alone. And there's no there's no clarification on this in the court documents, which I think is kind of silly funny. Obviously, right when the aunt left, you would think the aunt would be like calling the cavalry, right? Like, hey, he's in there, whatever. I think maybe whatever they didn't want to swarm the house and break in the SWAT team. Uh, 
in case, right, um, Dimmick was armed, in case he had a gun, in case he was going to hurt them, the hostages, whatever. Um, But yeah, like they were literally just chilling hostages in this house. And uh, for three full hours, for sure, we know the cops were not, didn't like break in, didn't try to break in. Unbeknownst to them, um, they were all chilling. Uh, Well, one of them was chilling, eating Dr. Pepper and Cheetos, watching Patch Adams, the movie with Robin Williams, um, with, with Lindsay and Jared, who were probably freaking the absolute fuck out. Okay. Eventually, though, three hours after Dimmick had gotten there, he was so comfy, cozy, and vibing with his new friends that he thought were his friends. Uh, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. Strike one. I think strike one. Like, if you're going to be a kidnapper, like, maybe don't, maybe don't snooze. Maybe don't snooze. He fell asleep. Maybe thinking, right? according to him, that that contract that they had, that oral contract, that oral K, that he was going to pay them $10,000 to hide him was going to stick, right? Like who would breach a contract? A lot of people, apparently. Yeah. The moment Demick hits full REM sleep, uh, Jared and Lindsay got the fuck out of there. Okay. They escaped. They were like, bye, left. And SWAT team swarmed. SWAT team fucking swarmed. They wrangle him okay asleep he was asleep they get him detain him put him in cuffs and then according to the police officer one of the police officers they accidentally shot him in the back after he was already handcuffed we'll get to that in a second okay officers discovered when they arrived the knife seen by the rallies 113 dollars in cash and a marijuana pipe of course the state charged Dimmick with two counts of kidnapping, aggravated robbery, felony theft, misdemeanor battery, possession of drug paraphernalia, eluding the police, and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Okay? Mind you, right, remember, this is in Kansas because these crimes happen in Kansas. He was ultimately extradited after his trial for the kidnapping, et cetera, in, Can- in, in Kansas to Colorado to, to stand trial for the murder, okay, of... of of Michael Curtis. But that's not happening just yet. Okay. This is actually a mis- common misconception about this case when it was when it was getting buzz, okay, in twenty in twenty eleven. In twenty eleven, all of the headlines said that the kidnapper was suing his hostages for breaching this, their oral contract to hide him. Well, yeah, that's true, but it was actually a countersuit as a counterclaim. So the rallies sued Jesse Dimmick first. They were like pain and suffering, emotional distress, obviously like what the fuck, right? They wanted to sue him. And in response, Dimmick, who was in right custody at the time, countersued in response to that lawsuit. And his countersuit was the one where he was like, fuck y'all, hoes ain't loyal. You were supposed to hide me. We had a deal. In his counterclaim, he says... Quote, as a result of the plaintiff's breach of contract, I, the defendant, suffered a gunshot to my back, which almost killed me. The hospital bills alone are in excess of $160,000, which I have no way to pay. Demick requested $235,000 from the rallies and said that it was an oral contract that they breached. And as a result of their breach, he suffered all those damages. Obviously, most people would think, well, this is absurd. Right. And yeah, it's absurd. But like, let's get into the nitty gritty. Okay. So many people 
think that a contract has to be on a pretty piece of paper and a signature and all of that. No, 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 no. There are only a small number of types of contracts that have to be in writing to be enforced. One of those is like for property, okay? Like a house. You can't sell a house orally. It has to be, and that has to be in writing, okay? Marriage, marriage contracts have to be in writing. But what people don't get is like people have sold their entire fucking properties before on cocktail napkins at the bar and been like, no, I was too drunk, Mm-mm-mm, right? Capacity, right? Capacity to to sign a contract, to enter into contract, that requirement is pretty low, okay? Pretty fucking low. Like y'all can't just get fucked up and start signing shit and think it won't, you won't be bound by it. Like I wouldn't roll that dice. Like I wouldn't play that game. An oral contract is valid, okay? There is nothing in the definition, legal definition of contract that requires that it be in writing. No, 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 all right? An oral contract requires, oral or written contract requires mutual assent, assent, mutual assent, which is essentially the parties are agreeing, okay, to the same terms, right? They're agreeing. And the way that that is expressed, mutual assent is expressed, is by a valid offer, okay, one, acceptance of that offer, two, consideration, okay, something exchanged, right? It can't just be a a gift or a promise has to be actual like we are contracting for something. Capacity, okay, on both parties, like mental capacity and legality. The thing has to be legal. An example of an oral contract would be me offering someone, hey, I will give you $200 if you clean my house. What what is that expressed? It's a valid offer. Consideration, 200 bucks. It could also be like, a service, right? Like I'll clean, like you clean my house. If like I pet your dog, whatever. Uh, the person who I'm offering that to, if they listen to that and say, I accept or yes, I'll do it. Or in some cases, if they just do the act, that can also be seen as acceptance. I'm not going to get into that shit. Okay. This is a contracts fucking class right now. Um, I did kick ass in contracts though. Got a solid A. Thank you so much. Um, but what y'all need to know about an oral contract is just like once there's an offer made, before the revocation of that offer, acceptance is made and that person fully performs. If you don't pay their ass, that's a breach. That's a fucking breach. Okay. And like, duh. All right. And just because it's an oral contract doesn't mean it's any less enforceable. Like someone could bring me in a small claim score over 200 bucks that I owe them for fucking, right? Like judge Judy that shit for, for cleaning their my house and me not paying them. But the evidence, obviously, of an oral contract is like very much he said, she said, and circumstantial. Okay. That's why every attorney is going to, in the world, is going to tell you, write it down, write that shit down, put your contracts in writing, stop homie hopping with people and just taking them at their word. Okay. Unfortunately, no one is good for their word. They're just not, even your own parents even your daughter, even your sister, even your dog, okay? Put it in fucking writing because then all the shit that you are going to argue about and they're going to say isn't true, you can have in writing. And the beautiful thing about contracts law, okay, is that if a contract is in writing, 
that's those are the fucking terms, right? Like even if later y'all talk about something different or before you all talk about something different, it's very rare that a court is going to consider anything other than what's on the fucking piece of paper. Because like if you wanted it on the if you wanted it in the contract, you would have put it on the fucking piece of paper. Okay. But you can contract for anything. You can contract for anything. Like you can definitely contract for like someone to hide you. Okay. Like for sure. Um, but one thing that a contract can't be, the subject of a contract can't be, is illegal. Can't be illegal. I know, crazy, shocking, spoiler. Can't be illegal. I know. So, like, I could, I could offer someone 10 grand to hide me in their house, uh, to win a game of hide and seek against some buddies. Okay. And if I, if they do that and then I leave and then I don't, I don't fucking pay their ass, they could definitely sue me for sure. If I, yeah, if everything was good and kosher and accepted, yeah, that's an oral contract, baby. But, 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 okay, the two things that are going to be an issue here are going to be, well, one, the first thing I thought of was illegality. The subject of the contract is illegal. The argument against that is, is that, oh, well, the hostages at that time that Jared accepted the offer Okay, by letting him into his house and like agreeing to hide him, according to what Dimmick said. Dimmick says that they were like, okay, we'll hide you. That's what Dimmick says, okay? Do with that what you will. But at the time that Jared accepted this offer, okay, Dimmick claims that all he said was that he was running and try- he was running away from some bad people that were trying to kill him and hurt him. Okay, he says Jesse Dimmick says that he didn't explain that they were cops, that he was a fugitive on the run, whatever. He just said, I'm on the run from people who want to kill me. Like, please help me hide. I'll give you 10 grand. And he says that Jared was like, period, got you, no problem. And then threw him the Cheetos. That's Jesse's story. Obviously, Jared and Lindsay were like, no, that's not what happened. Jer- he, you know, walked into our house and he said, the cops, literally the cops are trying to chase me. I, like, here's 10, like, I'll give you 10 grand to hide me. Okay, that's it. So scenario one is that he said, I'm on the run with the police from the police. Okay, I'll give you 10 grand to hide me. That's a valid offer. Okay, in theory, a valid offer. And according, right, according to Demick, he said that Jared accepted. Jared was like, I didn't really accept. I just like he walked in the house and I was like, here's the basement and there's my wife. Right. Whatever. But let's say there was an acceptance. OK, let's assume there was for argument's sake, even if there was a valid offer and a valid acceptance and consideration. Right. Which would be the 10 grand. And uh, the thing that that's being offered service, hiding them. Got it. Um, and, and, and presumably, right. The breach of this contract was them skedaddling bye and calling the cops and the cops were like swarmed okay and then he got shot in the back because of all that that's what he's saying so he's like your breach led to my fucking back injury even if all of that were true in this scenario one the subject of the contract is illegal because it's illegal to knowingly hide a fugitive from the police obstruction like that's i don't know if you guys knew this but that is illegal to do Okay, you can't do that because the subject of the contract is illegal. The contract would be thrown out and wouldn't be enforced. This is the equivalent of like, I can't I can't write have an oral or written contract with someone for a pound of cocaine and then yell to the police and be like, he didn't give me my coke. People do this shit all the time. You'd be fucking shocked. People call the police 
over breaches of contracts that are fucking illegal all the time, like being like, enforce it. What the fuck? And the police are like, okay, handcuffs for two of you, like for er handcuffs for everybody. Like, where's everybody from? Because what in the actual, like you guys, like don't fucking do that shit. Like if you, that's why, you know, drug deals go bad all the time and people get injured in that moment when someone was like, never mind, I'm not giving you the drugs that you ordered you, in your mind. You're, you're thinking, damn, I have no, I can't like sue him. Can I? No, you cannot. No, you cannot. Not for that. Not for a breach of that contract. Um, you obviously can't contract um, for like sex, prostitution. Um, so like the sex industry, porn, etc. They're not contracting like for sex. Okay. Like you're not allowed to prostitute yourself in most places in the United States. Like you're not allowed to sell to, to right? Prostitute. prostitute. Um, but what you are doing is like signing the contract, agreeing to like have someone film you guys having sex without and you're having sex for free but the thing that you're being paid for is like the filming of it which is not illegal does that make sense amazing perfect awesome so in this scenario um yeah illegal contracts cannot enforce it in that scenario scenario number two is that for argument's sake jesse dimmick walked in according to dimmick and was like Hi, I'm on the run from people who are trying to kill me. Um, doesn't say anything about cops. Doesn't say anything about him being a fugitive. He's just like, people are trying to kill me. They're bad people. Help. I'll give you 10 grand. And according to him, Jared was like, yes. And then he walked in, right? Valid offer. Hide me, please. 10 grand. Consideration. Acceptance from Jared. Yeah. Acceptance. Breach of the contract, right? When, um, when they bounced and the police swarmed. Okay? They abandoned him tears sad the defense to that okay on the rally side is um no no because we were under duress okay you cannot enforce a contract that someone signed or accepted orally when they were under duress okay you cannot hold a gun to someone's head and be like, are you going to do this? And they're like, yeah, period. And then suddenly be like, enforceable contract, okay? Obviously, as you can imagine, there are a bajillion different types of undue duress, okay, that goes on. And that would impact your capacity to contract, right? Like, you have to have the capacity to contract in the sense of, like, you're doing it voluntarily, knowingly, all of that. They're claiming, well, you had a knife, right? It wasn't voluntary. And, like, we didn't know all the facts and what the fuck, undue duress. You get it. But, okay, this third scenario that didn't immediately come to my mind, um, but apparently came to the rally's attorney's mind, fine. Um, not the strongest argument, but like pop off king, whatever. The rally's attorney, in response to Dimmick's countersuit against the rallies, said, quote, in order for parties to form a binding contract, there must be a meeting of the minds on all essential terms, including and most specifically an agreement on the price. So he took his first step forward in the rally's defense with the that's the wrong price tag. I'm not really sure. Like, look, like I'm not like I don't know all the facts. Right. Like, that's why, you know, I don't give legal advice willy nilly because like, look, I can't give proper legal advice knowing all the facts. But it's very much giving not the best argument that I would have made to get that shit popped and bonked and thrown the fuck out um 
if we're being for Rizzle. But hey, attorney Robert E. Keeshan in Kansas. No hate, but also, okay. <laughs> Not your strongest. Look, like I have a starting five in my pocket for every case, right? Like a starting five, hopefully enough of enough arguments, right? That go that go in descending order. Okay. For every motion that I write, for every brief that I write, for every case that I'm arguing, I'm I'm gonna make all of these arguments because yes, they're all relevant. There's no rule, and definitely it would be bad practice to only argue one point, right? And you can also argue points in a motion that contradict like conflict with each other. We do it all the time. We call it arguing in the alternative. Okay. We're like, argue, 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 this point, this point, this point. The sky is blue, the sky is blue, the sky is blue. Second point. But if you don't think the sky is blue and you don't agree with us on that point, it's purple, it's purple, it's purple, it's purple, right? Duh. So, so you know, attorney Robert E. Keeshan's agreement on the price, this wasn't the, we didn't have an agreement on the price argument, would have been dog shit last. It wouldn't have been Seabiscuit for me. No offense, but also full offense. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Kansas contract law is more price driven. Who Look, <laughs> listen, look and listen. So as you can imagine, the countersuit by Jesse Demick to sue his hostages for escaping and not hiding him like they apparently said they would. Uh, yeah, that was thrown out. That was dismissed by the judge for pretty much the reasons that I said. And then the the rallies lawsuit still stood, okay, against Demick for pain and suffering, etc. Um, but then they ended up dismissing that lawsuit after Demick was found guilty because they basically said, look, like we got our justice. That was enough. Um, in May 2010, Dimmick was found guilty of two counts of kidnapping and sentenced to 11 years in the Kansas Department of Corrections. After his conviction for kidnapping in Kansas was made official, Dimmick was extradited. He was sent back to Colorado to stand trial for his murder charges okay, that he ran from in the first place. And then he was again found guilty of murdering 25-year-old Michael Curtis and sentenced to 20, wow, and sentenced to 37 years, which he will complete after his time in Kansas. So he now what? That was in what? May 2010. We can presume probably by the end of that trial it was like 2011-ish. Okay. So he has, he's now in Colorado if the timing worked out right. Okay. He's probably still in Colorado. Um, yeah. And he was not able to sue. But you're probably wondering, right? Like, why did he sue in the first place? Well, yeah. The reason why he sued is because he he sued not only the rallies uh, for someone to pay his $160,000 medical bills for being shot in the back, um, but he also sued every police department involved in his pursuit and capture because he was like, one of y'all is going to be on the hook for my fucking medical bills because you guys literally shot me after I was in handcuffs and it's your fucking fault. Uh, and it was a whole case. It was a whole separate drama. Okay. Lawsuit. And ultimately, it was found, which I believe is correct, in 2012, okay, on appeal in Kansas, the court ultimately found that one of the police departments, essentially one of the counties, was indeed was indeed on the hook and had to pay his medical bills because they were like, uh, yeah, y'all shot him like literally when he was in cuffs. So what the fuck? And all the police departments were basically just pointing at each other because they were like, well, it was a group effort. And they were like, yeah, well, what the fuck? My rebuttal for this case is that you should definitely stock your fridge, stock your kitchen, stock your situation with snacks that you believe can bring us together as a community, 
of fugitives and newlyweds, of murderers and irregular people. Just in case someone shows up to your back porch with crazy eyes and makes you an offer that you just can't refuse, consider not opening the door. But if you do open that door, you now know contract law. This has been episode 11 of the Rebuttal Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for hanging. Episode 12 is going to be out pretty quickly. Do you want to know why? Okay, I'll tell you why. Because I kind of want to record it right now. Because now that I'm talking about cops lying and shit, now I kind of want to get into it. Let's do it. Love you so much. Follow us everywhere. We're on YouTube as well. Watch this on YouTube if you want. Illy, bye. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.